Welcome to our podcast, We Got the Nod. A new and bold internet radio show designed for those who are on a conscious path of awakening. We are here to uplift and inspire you, to share practical tools and techniques to assist you stepping into your highest expression as spirit having a human experience. We will get raw and real, sharing kundalini yoga, music, poetry, and mantra, and so much more. Let us open our hearts and minds to our true potential, making the impossible possible, the surreal real. Let's begin. Satnam and welcome to another edition of We Got the Nod Internet Radio with your host Hari Ram. Part two of our suicide series. Hopefully you had an opportunity to listen to part one. We're going to continue from that. Today I'll be sharing some poetry which was inspired by my own long dark night of the soul coming through that perhaps a song or two, and we'll see where it goes. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start with a poem. I started with Hamlet's brilliant soliloquy, To Be or Not To Be, in the first episode of the series. So this time I'm going to share one of my own poems that I wrote back in 2004. It's called Long Night. I decided I had slept long enough. It was time to get up and smell the roses, all those proses suddenly making sense. I had no idea how painful waking could be. It would almost kill me. No wonder I felt so much resistance to change. Indeed, the lure of familiar territory can be extraordinary. Spirit calls us to waken, but we convince ourselves we're mistaken just a temporary glitch in the matrix, falling back into slumber again, dulling the rumble in our brain. But the call inevitably returns, louder than before, forcing us to adjust the lens. Will we accept this invitation? The pain of refusal brings hesitation. I know how to self-distract, that's a fact. The weapons of mass distraction offer consolation for those too weak to speak, too lost in the dark to feel the spark igniting their soul. Yet even a tiny flickering flame can bring light to the blackest cave. The weight of denial becomes too great. Still we try to wait some more, procrastinate at the door. Yes. The latch is open on your gilded cage, begging you to enter a brand new stage. The terrain is unfamiliar, terra incognita. Will I slip and fall? Will I lose it all? The call of spirit helps me to feel it. That tiny spark in the dark flickers gently, the glow almost 
imperceptible. It troubles you. Ego wants to extinguish. Blow hard, he says, and your anguish will vanish. I know that light will intensify if left unchecked. Best to cut the quick now. He shouts, blow it out. I will comfort you in the night. You needn't feel fright. Silence the light. That's the routine. Predictable. Sensible. Embracing the light is reprehensible. Extinguish the thought. It's not in your best interest. I'm looking out for you. I know what's best. And you listen. The ego's words seem to glisten with recognition, but your heart feels heavy, harder than before, as if you're wearing a suit of armor. She starts to beat louder. You can feel the heat. Steel melting. Tears begin their descent, rusting the metal on your chest. The conquest has begun. Fire and water stoking the revolution. There are multiple layers to this fortress. Pace yourself. Get lots of rest. The battle may be won, but the war is not over yet. Ego will demand that you forget. Give up now and avoid regret. You're just spinning wheels, treading your heels. Give it a rest. I know what's best. This is a test, and you are failing. Surrender now and stop this complaining. I'm blaming you for not coming through. Mark my words, your payment is due. <clears throat> Somehow, you feel less afraid. The ego's words seem trite, hackneyed. Perhaps he ain't the ticket to freedom. Maybe he's just plain fucking dumb. Perhaps you can laugh just a little, realizing the silliness of this enterprise gone awry. The time has come to say goodbye, sailing off into uncharted seas. It doesn't seem so easy. In fact, you may feel a bit queasy, but that's a good sign. It tells you you're aligned with divine guidance. Yes, this is the dawn of a new romance between you and God. The universe is asking you to get involved with the job of love. Ego interrupts again. What on earth are you thinking of? Are you really going to fall for this crap? Then you truly are a sap, because you is going to fall far and hard. Hell is calling for your head. Don't blame me for improper warning. You are hereby given notice. Death is about to come storming. The heart responds, Let it rain. Let it rain. Hell and damnation come this day. I will pray for salvation all along. Courage and breath will be my song, chanting with reckless abandon. I will not stop until the war is won. When we are one, one love so strong that nothing, absolutely nothing, can bring undone. Satna. And on that note of chanting, I'll come back to some of those themes that shared in that poem. Let's tune in. I'm, I'm going to play the guitar. I've got the guitar this time. <laughs> I had much music in the first part of the series, so this time music and poetry are in order. 
Here's a nice version of the Adi Mantra. some sounds from the school nearby. The children are in school today. These children are apt to do. They sometimes make sounds with their voices. <clears throat> Good teachers they are. They know how to emote, how to express raw feelings without any censorship. This, for me, is one of the keys to navigating the long dark night of the soul, to transforming any thoughts of suicide, low self-worth, low self-esteem. We could say that all of these exist, these so-called negative emotions, thought forms, exist on a continuum from one extreme, which could be strong suicidal thoughts, tendencies, virtually insurmountable, uh, repetitive thoughts about self-annihilation on one extreme to the other side of the spectrum. Well, the, the, the furthest side of that spectrum, I guess, would be <laughs> self-love, total self-acceptance. Um, however, in between, then, we have thoughts of anxiety, low self-esteem, self-judgment, these types of thoughts and feelings that can come and go, sometimes interspersed with self-acceptance and feelings of joy, 
even con contentment. So wherever we are on the spectrum, that is where we are. And there are ways, techniques, that we can consciously and intentionally raise our frequency on that scale, if we look at it in terms of the knot, vibration, things that we do here at the School of Nod, such as chanting, kundalini yoga, psychodrama, and so on, can help us to raise our vibration from that the lower end of the spectrum to the higher end, which of course at the, at the peak is we could say samadhi, total bliss, oneness. Mm -hmm. So coming back to suicide cause causes. Um, why is this part of the human condition? Why is it potentially at, at the very core of the the pain story? What prompts any thoughts of suicide? Well, I just touched on it just now, I feel, which is about separation, this feeling of isolation, separation from the whole, from our community, from nature herself, from the cosmos, the sense of, I believe, a false sense of being an island in a vast sea. <clears throat> and sometimes, as I mentioned in the first part of the series, knowing this, having some awareness of consciousness and oneness, these esoteric teachings can be in some ways more of a challenge, more of a detriment when we don't feel it, when we're, we are not seemingly able to connect with that consciousness, that oneness. One of the last thoughts I left off with in the first part was about this domino effect. How negative thoughts... <clears throat> and by the way, when we speak about negative thoughts, research shows that the majority, vast majority of negative thoughts are not our own. They're not ours, really. We absorb them. Um, we take them on from various sources in such a way that they seem that they are our own, but they're not. And such is the nature of the mind, the rational mind, the negative mind, that this domino effect can happen. 
scientifically we can say it's synaptic connections. One thought connects to another. It's like a domino effect where one negative thought triggers another one. I like to call it the mind field. <laughs> Play on words. Important to keep a sense of humor <laughs> with these subjects. You know? Like a minefield, one of the most horrific things ever created. It's amazing, isn't it, when we think about some of these inventions that humans have come up with, like landmines. What on earth, right? Um, and unfortunately, they are on earth. Some are still buried in the ground, and we don't know where they are, of course, because they're buried underground. And some are still alive. Um, and such is the nature of, of these negative thought forms that the analogy for me is when one negative thought is triggered and there are many ways that these thoughts can be triggered could be maybe a television show, a movie or somebody in passing a stranger, we, we overhear somebody saying something, it's like, triggers that negative thought. And then, as with a minefield, it's like we trip over that thought, and then boom, then we hit another thought, another mine in, in that field, that minefield, boom, another explosion. <laughs> Minor or major, it doesn't matter, explosion can lead to another one, perhaps a bigger kapow. Before we know it, we <clears throat> feel like we're drowning in this pool of negativity and you know, self-abuse, you could call it, self-loathing even. As I mentioned in the first part of the series, I've been there. I'm speaking from my own experience and also as a counselor helping others. It's negative self-talk can be so draining, overwhelming at times when we get caught in that, that negative spiral. As they say, like a mind field, each thought feeding the next one. And of course, repetition. The same thoughts tend to repeat over and over again. This is why we have developed over eons, the human species, uh, ways of reversing, flipping these very same phenomena. Right? This idea of repetition is, is fundamental to mantra yoga, kirtan, which has many applications, call and response, for example, is used in so many different traditions, even simply spoken word. Hmm? The, the teacher, the guru, the saint will say a sentence, it's a group of words, and then the students, the disciples repeat, and on they go.
repetition, repeating positive thoughts, positive affirmations that I am God, I am one. This is the whole nature of many of these mantras that we chant and share School of Nod. I'll give you an example. <laughs> this mantra is for healing. Ramadasa sa se so hung. Ra he refers to the sun. Solar energy, Ma, the moon, Grandmother Moon, Da, the earth, Pachamama, Sa, the totality, and so hung, vibrating, real, and powerful, like this. podcast is brought to you by the School of Nod, International School of Kundalini Yoga, Nod Yoga, Psychodrama, and more. 
founded by the dynamic soulmate duo Hariram and Satkirtan, the School of Nod offers unique and transformative online programs. Satkirtan and Hariram have between them 30 years experience leading classes, workshops, kirtan, and retreats. For more information, go to www.schoolofnod.com. And now, back to the podcast. WGTN Guatemala. I feel good. <laughs> Just having done that for a couple of minutes. It's amazing. The power of mantra, sound current, and repetition. Right? The same way that those negative thoughts can repeat and repeat and just bring us down, further down into that pit of anguish and despair. The same way these mantras, prayers, sacred sound current with repetition can reverse that trend, pull us upward, create a new spiral, upward, higher vibration, clearing the cobwebs, if you will, of despair, anguish, and opening oneself, opening to to higher vibration, to light and love, peace. I'll share another poem they wrote in around 2004, 2005. I'm going to mention a few films. I, I, I mentioned a couple of, in the first part of the series. And I want to touch on a couple more. I love cinema and the power of cinema to portray these important stories in our lives. This piece is called Shall I Speak to You? Shall I speak to you of family and those guarded hidden secrets? Shall I speak to you of silence, forced upon innocent children, too young to understand the consequences? Shall I speak to you of young adults, emotions blunted by years of neglect, stumbling through life, trying to find purpose? Shall I speak to you of pain, accumulated through years of self-imposed Compulsive, obsessive, mind-numbing, distracted, distancing? Shall I speak to you of premature death? Spirit leaking through the open faucet of forgetfulness. Physical body withering under mounting pressure. The burden of life overwhelms until you fall into the long, dark sleep. Or... Perhaps there is light in a tunnel. Perhaps there is hope. Shall I speak to you of innocence, conceived in childhood, revived in that still dark moment of desperation, when life seems bleakest, when we've hit rock bottom, a door appears. Shall I speak to you of courage to face the unknown, to dive into black waters, uncertain of the depth or rocks below? Shall I speak to you of faith, trusting in that unseen presence we buried in our dreams? 
Shall I speak to you of bliss, the possible indescribable isness of being, free of constraint, releasing the shackles of intimidation forevermore? Shall I speak to you of God? She is within you. She is you. And we are one. Shall I speak to you of oneness? So by now, if you listen to part one of this series, you're probably sensing some common themes, some threads that are repeating. such as the courage to face the unknown. This is key. It makes me think about child-rearing today in the West. It's changed a lot in my observation since I was a child. When I was a child, even at a fairly young age, seven, eight years old, it was common and normal for a young boy to go out to leave the house alone on an adventure, perhaps for half a day or longer, to go on a walkabout, with, perhaps with a friend, perhaps not. I spend a lot of time alone. I like to explore. And my parents were okay with that. It was accepted back then. I don't think this is so much the case nowadays. I think this is very sad. Children need that, that freedom. We see it more in so-called third world countries like Guatemala, Mexico, where we've been living the last two years now. Children have more freedom. And this is so important in our development. <clears throat> Again, to have that freedom to, to face the unknown, to learn from our mistakes, to confront challenges and even dangers, because we're going to have to do it sooner or later. We cannot live forever isolated from the world and from challenges and even dangers. It's impossible. <laughs> right? It's interesting right now, as I'm speaking about this, there is a, an epidemic it's happening all over the planet right now called the coronavirus. Hopefully it's not touching you or your loved ones directly. We pray for, for healing uh, on that level, that all may be well and protected. <clears throat> Innocence, this is part of the thing, I, I mentioned this in this poem that I wrote 15 years ago, plus innocence conceived in childhood. When that innocence is thwarted by well-meaning parents or adults, I don't see it as a good thing. Of course, having some judgment, some caution is, is good. Yet to, to thwart the innocence of a child, to make a child fearful, for me is, is not wise. 
Because as I mentioned in this poem, that innocence can come back to us in those moments, those still dark moments, those desperate moments. If we can reconnect with that innocence from our youth, this can play a very important part in healing and transforming the long dark night of the soul. It's interesting that I wrote back in 2005 six about diving into black waters uncertain of the depth or the rocks below because in 2013 I believe so about eight years later eight years after writing this I had a a conscious suicide experience of my own. This is why I can speak about this as ceremony, as ritual, um, in which I had to dive at night into somewhat dangerous water. It was very shallow, it was rocky, I couldn't see the rocks, I couldn't see anything really, and it was quite wavy that night. There was a lot of wind coming from this large lake, which for me appeared to be the Black Sea. Uh, I was in an altered state, not from any plant medicine, simply from doing some yoga, uh, sauna. I've done a lot of work with in saunas, uh, hydrotherapy, going from very hot wood fire sauna to cold waters. I'm going to save that story, I think, for part three. I think that is going to be perhaps a key part of the final installment of this series is conscious suicide stories. So stay tuned. <laughs> I may speak about Paula's altar. I mentioned my sister, dear sister Paula who committed suicide at the tender age of 21 in 1986. I discovered an altar in the forest while living in Quebec, high up on the mountain. I was living off the grid that I dedicated to Paula, a place of mystery and beauty. And I think I'm going to save that, some stories about that altar also for <laughs> the final installment of this series. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm going to try to keep this part two concise. Uh, I want to mention I want to mention the films some of my favorite films of all time, like Hamlet, have a suicide theme. I touched on one in the first installment, which is Wings of Desire. Brilliant film by Wim Wenders, great German director, who co-wrote the script with 
Peter Handke, I believe, is a brilliant poet, German poet. The script reads like poetry. And while the movie doesn't address suicide directly, except for one very profound scene, it does touch on the suicidal theme throughout, really, because we are given access to the most private thoughts and feelings via these angels who are overlooking the population of Berlin. The original German title translates as Angels Over Berlin. And these angels are able to listen in on private thoughts of the citizens in the city. It's a perfect premise for a film because, of course, as the audience, we are able to hear those same thoughts. One of the most profound moments for me in the film, I've seen it 11 times, is when the angel is attempting to console a young man who is about to jump to his death. He is sitting on the ledge of a skyscraper and the thoughts that are racing through his head, we can hear them. It's hard to make sense because the thoughts are like rapid fire, right? He's, his whole life is flashing in front of him. He's about to jump. He's ready to do it. And the angel is there unknown to him, offering comfort, consolation. Of course, he's unable to feel the presence of the angel. And this is interesting because it comes back to what I mentioned earlier about separation being at the root of the suicide urge this feeling of being an island in a vast ocean, not feeling connected, and how it can be even worse when we, we have awareness that, that there is oneness, that consciousness is universal, and yet not feeling that connection. This man obviously is feeling completely isolated. He is unaware that the angel is right there with his wing wrapped around him, He's thinking a mile a minute about his girlfriend, his job, his this and that. It's like rapid fire. You know, and you, know, you could feel his anxiety, his tension. And then he jumps. And the angel, of course, is, is unable to do anything to stop him from leaping to his death. Profound scene. And as I said, it's not even a key character. It's just one scene, uh, suicide in the entire film. And yet, the pain story is woven throughout virtually the entire film in beautiful ways. It starts by introducing the theme of innocence, when a child was a child and everything under the sky was beautiful. That lost innocence, 
key theme in storytelling. Thus, in shamanic work, in our experience here at the School of Nod, how to return to that innocence, to that oneness, to that knowingness that we are eternal beings, we come from Source, the innocent child knows this, and thus does not feel any fear, per se. Certainly does not feel a fear of death. Has no thoughts of suicide. Although, as I mentioned, episode one, it is alarming that children now are con considering suicide as early as seven, eight years old. This is very alarming statistic. So check it out, Wings of Desire, exquisite film. Uh, the cinematography, by the way, is, is breathtaking. It's mostly in black and white. Another film, also in black and white, <clears throat> entirely in black and white, this one. Wings of Desire has some color moments, which are beautiful. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life with James Stewart. You may have seen it. They used to play it always at Christmas time. He tries to commit suicide. That's a central theme in that film. And why, really, why it's such a profound story and so universally loved. The central character who has everything going for him, seems beautiful wife, adorable children, is at his wit's end and decides in his own anguish and desperation to kill himself because he believes that he is more valuable to his family dead because of insurance policy. Yes, often people will take their own life for financial reasons, <laughs> such as the, the power of, of money. There are many stories of suicide during the Great Depression. And, like the beautiful German film that I mentioned, it is an angel that comes to his rescue. In this case, the angel does save him from drowning. And so, it's a wonderful life. We see how this angel plays a key role in helping the character, beautifully played by James Stewart, to, to heal his life and to, to make another choice, to live, even if he has to go to prison. And it's all predicated on him, after being rescued, saying to himself out loud, I wish I had never been born. What a powerful sentence that is. I wish I'd never been born. That's a key line in that film. Because when the angel hears that, he's like, aha, bingo. This is how I'm going to save him. I'm going to show him what the world would be like if he had never been born. Careful what you ask for. 
<laughs> That's what the angels say. Careful what you ask for. He has the opportunity, then, essential character, to see what the world would be like if he had never been born. Wow. It's amazing. There is a bit of soul retrieval right there. Right? Imagine what the world would be like if you had never been born. It's amazing how we touch so many people in so many ways. This intricate web of life. Everyone has an important role to play. Hmm. I'll mention one more on this list of exquisite films with suicide themes. And that is What Dreams May Come. One of our favorite films of all time. Seth Kirtan and I both love this. We can both come to tears just thinking about it, talking about it, because it is also a love story. Of course, Wings of Desire has a beautiful love story at its center. It's a Wonderful Life has a beautiful love story. Any epic story has to have a love story. And What Dreams May Come is as good as it gets. It is Orpheus and Eurydice told in a modern setting with Robin Williams at his very best. The story is so painful when we look at it from an objective standpoint, if we look at the, the premise. There are accidental deaths and there's a suicide. You know, it looks just like a very <laughs> depressing storyline. And yet, the, the storytelling somehow accomplishes the impossible. It makes the story beautiful and poignant and pulls you in all the way. You're, you're with the characters right to the climax, to the end. And what a ride. The special effects are incredible. Highly recommended. What dreams may come. And you may have noticed, if you did listen to the first part of this series, that line, the title of that film, comes directly from, yes, Hamlet's famous soliloquy, to be or not to be. What dreams may come. Gives us pause, again. The uncharted shore. Hamlet is asking himself what dreams may come when I fall asleep for the last time. If I take my own life and go into that deep sleep, what dreams may come? I don't know. We have no control over our dreams. And what dream might come if I take my own life, if I abandon myself, cut this life Perhaps I'll experience some horrific nightmare. And if you've done any shamanic ceremony, I alluded to some in the first episode, uh, with or without plant medicine like ayahuasca or peyote, sometimes these types of ceremonies can feel like a never-ending nightmare. I know from my own experience. It can feel like 
like a suicide might feel. A never-ending nightmare. <clears throat> and this is why most mystics, masters will say, don't rush <laughs> your death. Let it come in its own time. You're here for a reason, which we saw portrayed so beautifully in It's a Wonderful Life. The world needs you. Sometimes it's hard to hear that when we feel low self-worth. We're not... That we're not being of much value in the world. It's hard to see the point, to see that we have a purpose. And yet we do, we all do. So, go finish another piece that I wrote. Um, what is this? Back in around 2004, I believe. It's a song. It was partially inspired by my sister Paula. Rest your soul. It's called Close Your Eyes. Close your eyes. Remember when you were young, your whole world shone like the sun. All your dreams seemed possible. Parents and media started messing with your head, convincing you to be practical instead. Romantics die young and broke, they said. So like me, you may have opted out, choosing the psychedelic route, an audiovisual display so vivid that return to normalcy made you livid. Some of us died in their attempt to journey outside. Doors of perception, too stubborn to resign. In a sterile situation, but some made it through with a broader sense of the interdimensional truth pervading all existence. We now knew there was more, much more than meets the naked eye, and our thirst for awareness grew as each day passed by. Remember when you were young, your whole world shone like the sun, all your dreams seemed possible. You believed life to be a joyous trip, the days seemed endless, incredible. Day merging with night, a solemn feeling filling your soul that everything is alright. Can we return to that place? Can we 
reignite our taste for ecstasy. For ecstasy. Close your eyes. Remember when you were young. Rekindle that song of gratitude. Sensing the magnitude of inspiration. Coming your way. Oh, 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 oh. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Close your eyes. When we chant mantras, we like to do so with the eyes mostly closed, eyelids just slightly open, the eyes, the eyeballs are rolled up and back towards the brow point. So basically the eyes are closed. We're connecting to the soul. Turning the eyes up and back, we ignite, we activate the third eye, say the eye of the soul. Ajna Chakra. By bringing those eyelids down, like closing the drapes over the windows, about 90%, we are shutting off that perception of the so-called outer world. And thus entering the world of spirit, the formless, the Holy Nod. We'll finish with one more chant, a simple mantra, one word, very important word with roots in Sanskrit. The word is Akal. Akal is the word that we chant when someone is passing over to the other side. We chant this word at least five times to give assistance and support on that journey across the divide. Which can be especially helpful when a suicide occurs. Often the soul is not ready for that transition. I will also chant a call five times when I pass an animal that's been killed on the roadside for the same reason. So I like to bring my hands to the heart, you know, with the eyelids closed, connect to feel that oneness. A call means eternal, timeless, deathless. Feel it, sense it, taste it, and then inhale to begin. Oh.
you try and inhale deeply, suspend the breath. Feel it. Visualize in your own way that person, that animal, that being crossing over to the light. A call brings us to the light. And exhale. So again, in closing, we welcome you, the listener, to give us some feedback, any comments, questions that you may have on this subject, this important subject of suicide. Perhaps you have a story to tell. If you have a story to tell on this theme, we might have interest to bring you on the show to interview you for a future podcast. We're here for you. So in closing, I'll remind you that the final episode of this three-part series, I will talk more about conscious suicide ceremony, my own and perhaps those that I facilitated for others. And I will speak about Paula's altar, the mountain altar in the forest. Some beautiful stories, so please stay tuned for part three of this series. We'll close with the Longtime Sun song, which again is about the light, going to the light. If you want to sing along, you might want to bring your hands in heart position, prayer position at the heart. Yeah. May the long time sun shine upon you All love surround you and the pure light within you guide your way. May the long time sun shine upon you, all love surround you, and the pure light within you. Guide your way on. Guide your way on. Guide your way on. Receive a deep inhale and chant with me Satnam. Satnam Again Satnam Usually chant with hands in prayer position of the heart. One more time. So
inhale deeply, suspend the breath, feel the light within, feel that light expanding from the center of your heart, the center of your chest, expanding outward, enveloping your entire being, a sphere of golden white light. Let it expand even further, creating a heavenly space all around every direction. Exhale. Blessed be. Thank you again for being with me on this podcast. Look forward to our next shared experience. Satnam. Blessed be. Wahiguru. Thank you. We thank you for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe so as not to miss a single episode. We depend on you, our listeners, to build and expand our audience, to share the nod. So, if you like what you hear, please do not hesitate to share with your friends, family, and community. Love coming down